Father, we thank you that you have gathered us together to worship you and to learn from you and to hear from your word. And we ask, God, that as you speak through your word, that you would open up our hearts and our eyes and that you would help us to see you. God, give us strength, give us courage, give us hope, and mold and shape us so that we could be your faithful people in this world. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So again, if you're joining us for the first time, we have been in a series together entitled Wilderness. And today is actually our final uh, installment in our series in the wilderness, which means we're finally going to leave the wilderness and go into the promised land. Can I get a witness on the promised land? Yes. But actually, as we conclude our series, I wanted to look at a little episode in the life of Jesus where he goes into the wilderness. And what we're going to see today from this text is uh, although over the last several weeks we've seen that as we walk through the wilderness, that there we find the presence of God. God is there with us in a cloud. There we find the surprising provision of God in uh, water from the rock of bread from heaven. There we often find ourselves grumbling in the wilderness. What we're going to see is that we also find in the wilderness the dark and the spiritual force of darkness and evil there to confront us and to challenge us and to cause us to stumble. We're going to look today at a story of Jesus meeting the devil in the wilderness. You know, it's interesting uh, throughout church history how this very famous story of Jesus encountering the devil has been depicted. You know, in the earliest depictions of this story, if you can see on the screen, um, uh, the the devil in these uh, early artistic depictions is shown to be a very dark and scary and ominous and scaly, horned, winged creature. And it's interesting because this depiction, this picture of the devil is not given to us from the Bible. Rather, it comes out of Greek and Roman mythology and in some of our later imaginations was further shaped by Milton and Dante. Well, a little bit later in church history, somehow, some, somewhere between the 1200s and the 1500s, the depiction of the devil began to change. And oftentimes in Christian art where uh, you find uh, this story depicted, you see the devil presented not as a dark, scaly, horned creature, but rather as a monk. In other words, not in obvious form, but rather masquerading in some ways as, a, as an agent of truth and goodness. But even still in these images, if you look closely, and you can look on this as you get home, there's actually a series of, of images like this coming out from this time period where the monk, although it looks like a monk on one level, if you look down at the feet, there are these scaly feet that come out. And so it looks a little creepy to see a monk with scaly feet. And then finally, as you get into the modern period, again, uh, the, the depiction of darkness becomes more and more humane. It looks more and more normal. And I, I saw this image, and I don't know, I was thinking that maybe now in the modern period, uh, the devil looks like he's depicted as Nicolas Cage. And I'm um, not sure about that. But, um, but I, I think the point is, is that we can oftentimes dismiss evil when we think of the devil and demons as almost like a caricature. 
But you know, when you, when, you, when you think about darkness as something that can actually be covered in something that looks good, maybe something that actually becomes very subversive and we allow into our life but can wreak havoc and destruction on our lives, our relationships, our souls. And this is the kind of darkness we find Jesus meeting in the wilderness. You know, it's interesting, in this story of Jesus in the wilderness, it's clear that Matthew, who's writing this gospel, wants to frame the story of Jesus after the story of Israel. And so you see Jesus, like Israel, going down into Egypt. And then Matthew quotes uh, the Old Testament and saying, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Speaking of Jesus coming out of Egypt, which of course, Israel came out of Egypt. And then Jesus comes out of Egypt and he goes into the waters of his baptism. And then he comes through the waters of baptism and he goes immediately out into the wilderness. And it follows the trajectory of Israel's own story who came out of slavery of Egypt, went through the waters of the Red Sea, and then ultimately went into the wilderness for 40 years. But where Israel goes into the wilderness and was tested and failed, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is tempted, he is tested, and he is victorious. And Jesus shows us how it's done. In other words, Jesus shows us in our text how we can face and overcome darkness when it confronts us in our life. And our story unfolds in three different testings, three different temptations that Jesus faces. And I want to draw each of them out for us because these are three temptations that we often find ourselves facing in the wilderness. And it's interesting because the test comes, look at what it says in chapter four, verse one. It says this, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But when was it that the devil, when was it that the darkness came to test Jesus? Well, it was in his greatest moment of vulnerability. Verse two, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. In other words, the devil comes after him right in his moment of greatest weakness when he has experienced greatest lack. And it is often the case in your life and mine that in our moments of greatest vulnerability, when we feel the deepest lack in our lives, oftentimes in wilderness seasons, we find then that the devil, that the darkness strikes and tempts us. And notice the temptation comes with, uh, in three different ways. Notice uh, the first temptation that Jesus faces. Temptation number one was for Jesus and for us to missatiate our hunger. The first temptation is for us in the wilderness to missatiate our hunger. Now, I notice as you might do right now when I type this out on a, a, a Word document, that missatiate is actually not a word in the dictionary. And so I just coined a new term tonight. Missatiate. Thank you. Yes. But it, it's interesting. Uh, look at what it says again in verse 2. It says, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. He had hunger that needed to be satiated. You know, it, it's been said that uh, people who go on long periods of fasting often experiences three different stages of their fast. In stage one, they're experiencing initial hunger 
Uh, Some of you who might have done a one or two or three day fast knows what it's like to go through that initial phase of hunger. I actually don't think I've ever moved out of the initial phase of hunger. Haven't done much fasting in my life, but when I have and I've not liked it. Um, But then you go into a second phase where I believe your body starts to actually feed on its own fat cells and you, your hunger dies. And then toward the end of the long-term fast, the hunger comes back just as you are on the verge really of starvation. And this is where Jesus finds himself. And notice, look at what, how the devil tempts him in this moment, verse three. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. So what's the temptation? He says, look, I want you to command these stones to, come bread, to become bread. Now, note well, the temptation is not for Jesus to satisfy his hunger with bread. The, the day will come very soon when Jesus will return from the wilderness and he will satisfy his hunger with bread. The temptation is not for him to satisfy his hunger with bread. The temptation here is to turn the stones into bread and then satisfy his hunger. In other words, to missatisfy or missatiate his hunger in a way that would be illegitimate or improper. Now, somebody says, well, look, if uh, I had son of God powers and I was out in the wilderness and there were some stones there, what would be the problem with turning the stones into bread? But it's interesting, when you look at the life of Jesus, he never uses his power, number one, to serve his own personal needs, but nor does Jesus use his power to manipulate and coerce creation so that it becomes something that it was not already intended by God, by God's will to be. And so here, the devil is saying, look, I want to tempt you to take these stones and turn them into bread. In other words, uh, these stones, they have a purpose. Out in the wilderness, a stone can beautify the otherwise barren landscape. Sometimes a stone, if it's large enough, can, can provide for you a place to sit on and rest in the wilderness. But here, the stone is, is, uh, is tempted, the, the, the devil is tempting Jesus to take the stone and to turn it into something that it is not by design intended to be, namely become bread. Because this is out of God's creational intent. It is not God's intention that we would be nourished and sustained and satiated by stones, but by bread. Now, let me just pause and let me just apply this for a minute. You know, all of us have real hungers in life. Jesus was experiencing real, legitimate hunger. And you, of course, have legitimate hungers in your life. You have a hunger for love and for intimacy, and for meaning. You have a hunger for people to notice you and to want you. You have a, notice for, you have a, a hunger for significance and satisfaction and actually be control, in control of our lives. We have a hunger for peace of mind. You come in tonight with all kinds of hungers. 
And of course, there are seasons in your life where those deep internal hungers of the soul are satiated and you are feeling good. You know, the family is good. Uh, the boyfriend, girlfriend are good. Uh, school is going good. Work is going good. Life is going good. You feel satisfied and satiated. But there are those seasons in our life where we find ourselves starving, right? Starving for, for meaning, and for satisfaction and for peace, starving for someone to love us and to want us and to notice us and to think we matter and we were valued. We, 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 we sometimes find ourselves starving and it's in those moments when we are hungry, when we're starving, that we are vulnerable to temptation from the darkness. And here the temptation the devil brings to them and that often comes to us in those moments of hunger is to satisfy our hunger in an illegitimate way that God does not intend our hunger to be satisfied. And so for example, you might have a hunger to be noticed and to be loved. And the proper place for that might be to enter into a healthy, vibrant relationship with another person and to develop a, a relationship of love, but that's lacking. And so instead you find yourself posting images of yourself on, on social media or maybe sending images of yourself to somebody who you know doesn't really care about you, but for some reason they notice you. You're, you're trying to satiate that desire in an illegitimate way. You want peace of mind in your soul and you're not getting it, and so you satiate that instead with pills or with another and then another and another drink. You know, you've got, you've got longings, you've got hunger in your life to be, to be noticed and to be wanted. And so you try always to present your best self and to brag and to, 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 to always be kind of like talking about self and self and self, and you're, you're saying, look at me, notice me, want me. Or maybe you hunger just, just for, for intimacy. And so instead of looking for intimacy where you can really find it, you go back to that toxic relationship that you know is bad for you. And there's always that temptation, isn't there, in those seasons of vulnerability where we're starving, where we're hungry, that we would meet our legitimate needs with something that is illegitimate something that is not good for us, it's not healthy for us, it's actually toxic to your soul. Well, this is the temptation Jesus faces and notice how he responds. Verse four, but Jesus answered, it is written, humans shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, don't miss what Jesus is saying. This is not a trite little saying that you put on your bumper sticker or on a t-shirt or on your refrigerator. Jesus is revealing to us something profound about what it means to be a human. Listen, what it means to be human is that you do not live on bread alone. Notice he doesn't say you don't live on bread. We do live on bread and water, and relationships, and all kinds of other things in life. But we don't live on those things alone. You know, sometimes I look at my dog, Brutus, and I think he could live on dog food, sunshine, and a nice grass alone. He could live on all that alone, but Brutus is a dog. We are, we're human. And part of what it means to be human is that 
you need a voice. You need a word. You need a story outside of yourself. You need to know that your life matters that there is something transcendent, something beyond. There's more to life than this. That we, we need to know that we're a part of some larger story that makes sense of our life. We need to know that we're wanted and cared for by the one who wants and cares most in the world. Listen, we need more than bread to survive. We need the word of God his word that frames our existence as created beings who have been brought to inhabit a world that has been brought into being by the love of God. We need a word that names us truer and better than we name ourselves. You are an image bearer of God, created in the very image and likeness of God to rule over and to steward God's creation. You need the word of God's promise that God says, I am for you and I am not against you and I will always be for you even to the end of the age. You need the word of God's wisdom and guidance that shows us where to find life and that to the full. This is what humans need. And so Jesus responds to the confrontation of darkness to missatiate his deepest longings to say, look, you have a deeper longing that is met with something more profound and transcendent by the very word and promise of God in Jesus Christ. Well, the tempter, after tempting Jesus to missatiate his hunger, moves on to a second temptation, this time to doubt God's love. Look at what it says in verse Five, it says this, Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, what does it mean when he took him up to the holy city? He's out in the wilderness, isn't he? What do you mean? He got like transported? Did he apparate? Harry Potter fans? Um, I, I, I think what's happening is, is he, he's having something of a visionary experience. And if I could uh, draw an analogy, for those of you who are familiar with the Lord of the Rings uh, trilogy and the movies, there are those moments when Frodo puts on the ring and it's like he goes to this in-between world where it's in between kind of like the earthly reality and kind of this dark spiritual reality. And it's almost as if that's where the devil takes Jesus in this visionary experience. And there he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, notice the devil quotes the Bible. He says, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. If you are the son of God, cast yourself down, Jesus. Let's have a little test whether or not the father does indeed love you. But you, I want you to see that the quotation is of God's own words, but there's a slight twist and a massaging of the text. He's drawing this from Psalm 91, which is a beautiful psalm about God's protection and, and about faith and trust and dependence upon God. But he turns the text to imply to Jesus that actually uh, th this is a health and wealth gospel. Jesus, it doesn't matter what choice you make, 
It doesn't matter how reckless you choose to live your life. God is obligated to care for you. Jesus, if you do it right, if you are the son of God, you're living holy and righteous and upright and you cast yourself out. God is your sugar daddy and he is your genie in a bottle and he's gonna take care of you. He is gonna give you your best life now if you just do the right thing. Throw yourself off. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't buy it. He says, again, it is written. He says, hiya. Gives him a little, you know, comes back at him. Two, two can play this game. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. But what is, what is the temptation here that Jesus faces and that we face? Well, I, I want you to see, or I want you to notice this phrase that begins the temptation, if you are the son of God. This is the second time the devil used that phrase. And if you just go right back up to the end of chapter three of Matthew's gospel, you see a reference to the son of God again. Actually, it is the voice of God that speaks at the baptism of Jesus. The heaven is rent open. Uh, the, The spirit of God descends on Christ like a dove. And then the father speaks. And when he speaks, he speaks this word of affirmation and love and delight. He says, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And then he goes out into the wilderness and the devil says, oh, well, if you are the son of God, then he will protect you from the natural consequences of living in a fallen world. And this isn't the first or last time that the devil, that the darkness, the voices in our head have said, look, if you are really a loved child of God, you will not hear that word about cancer. And you will not lose your job and your marriage will not implode and you won't have difficulties in your family. And, 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 and life is always gonna be great. You know, you're, you're gonna, your bank account's gonna be good if you're just doing the right thing and you are loved by God. But of course, Jesus speaks an alternate word to that lie, that health and wealth gospel lie. Jesus does not teach us a theology of glory. He teaches us a theology of the cross. And what we learn in watching the life of Jesus is that the most righteous, the most loved, the eternal son of the father himself experienced the most inhumane treatment, the darkest betrayal from a friend, the most oppressive, unjust treatment from a government, He was stripped naked and beaten and crucified. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if the eternal son of God in this world suffered, we will also suffer. But the word also comes to us, you can suffer and still know that you are loved. In fact, it is that word of God, that voice that is stronger than the voice of the devil that says, if you are loved, you won't experience this. It's the voice of the father that says, you are my beloved child. You are mine. You belong to me, eternally to me. And no matter what kind of darkness you go through, no matter what kind of suffering you are in, I am with you. I am for you. I am not against you. You can trust me. 
You can trust your father in the wilderness. Even when you are tempted to doubt God's love, you can trust that you are loved and cared for by God. So number one, the darkness, this dark power confronts Jesus, confronts us in the wilderness, and we are tempted to missatiate our deep hungers. Secondly, we are tempted to doubt God's love. But I want you to see the third temptation. It is to compromise the way of the kingdom or the cross. Look at what it says in verse 7. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Here, he is making an exchange. If you will fall down and worship me, if you will give your allegiance, your deepest allegiance to worldly powers, spiritual dark forces, if you will fall down and worship me, then you can have earthly power, all of the earthly power in the world. And what is being appealed to here is something you see throughout the New Testament. And that's that over the world or throughout the world that we see, there are spiritual forces of darkness at work wreaking havoc and destruction in God's good creation. That the world itself lies underneath the sway of the devil. And if we have any doubts on this, just look at the 20th century. I don't know why, but over the last year, I've spent a lot of time reading about the atrocities of the 20th century, did some reading about Nazi Germany, about the uh, uh, Leninist and Stalinist Russia and the gulags and all of that. I read about uh, Jim Crow lynchings in the Deep South and our own nation's history. Read about the killing fields in Cambodia, and, and after reading a good bit of world history from the 20th century, I agree with Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived in Nazi Germany, who looked out around him at the darkness and the level of systemic evil and injustice that he was witnessing, and said, how can one close one's eyes to the fact that the powers of darkness have made here an awful conspiracy? Well, the devil says, I can transfer all of the authority of the world over into your hands, Jesus, if you will just fall down and worship me. Now, of course, it is the plan of God that all authority in heaven and on earth would be given to Jesus. Jesus came to be the world's true king. And one day the curtain will be pulled back and Jesus will be revealed to this world as its true and rightful Lord. And he will bring his kingdom of healing, justice, bringing peace and shalom to flood all creation. And he will make everything right and new. But the pathway to that kind of exalted glory over all creation was a path that took him to the cross. In other words, his mission was shaped by the way of the cross. You know, I think it's a shame that in our day and age, so many Christians 
give their allegiance to politicians and political parties and, and, and pour themselves into worldly ways of exercising power. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Christians shouldn't vote. Of course you should vote, and you should vote knowledgeably. Know what you believe. Know why you believe it. Know what's happening out in society and politics and, and party platforms and all of that. that. That's all good and right and just. What I'm saying is that Christians can sometimes and throughout church history have gotten in bed with the way the world does politics. The same kind of fear-mongering, the same kind of hate, the same kind of uh, power plays, the same kind of violence uh, is, is utilized by the people of God. And this was not the way of Jesus. He says, I will not bow down and worship the way of the world, the way of darkness, where its might is right. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going to just act out of darkness. Jesus says, no, my way is marked out by sacrificial, self-giving love in utter loyalty, connection, and oneness with the Father. Jesus gives himself in an act of glad, self-giving love. And this is the way of Jesus and the kingdom. And he invites us, his disciples, into this upside-down kingdom where those at the bottom are brought to the top and those who are arrogant and proud are brought down low. This is the kingdom we have been invited into. And in the wilderness, especially when it seems like life and the world is out of control, we can find ourselves grasping for some kind of worldly promise of power that's going to keep us in control. And Jesus says, no, no, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. I, I love it. How Jesus concludes this entire confrontation with darkness he says these words after the three temptations from the devil. He says, be gone, Satan. If you allow me to paraphrase, he says to the devil, get the hell out of here. He says, get out. Get out with all of your voices of confusion, your voices that are questioning the Father's love, your your." your your temptation for me to misatiate my hunger in places that were never intended. Get out. And so what Jesus is doing in this story throughout, Jesus is teaching us how to respond when we find ourselves confronting the darkness around us. He is saying, look, we need to learn more and more throughout our life that when those voices come into our head, those voices that say you don't matter, you are not loved, those voices of shame, those voices of guilt that crush you. Jesus is teaching us to invite a better and a truer and a stronger voice into our hearts and lives. That is the voice of God given to us in scripture. It is written, it is written, it is written. This is how he did battle against the darkness. So Jesus, on one level throughout this story, is teaching us how to battle the darkness. But Jesus is doing something far more in our story than simply teaching us how we can do something. Jesus, in our story, is doing something in our place and for our sakes. Jesus here 
where it is showing that he is the one that though Israel who came out of Egypt and through the waters of the Red Sea and went into the wilderness, though in their deepest hour of trial, they failed. Jesus is saying, look, I will be for you and I will serve as your representative. And where Israel, you fail, I will be your king that succeeds. But he's not just doing that. Jesus is doing something even deeper than that. You know, there's an echo in this story from another time in human history where there was another representative head of humanity who faced the powers of darkness and who succumbed to those dark voices, the dark voice of the enemy, and plunged the whole human race into sin and death and darkness. And here Jesus in our story is being the better and truer Adam who is facing the darkness as our head, as our representative, saying, I have come before you to do battle against all of the darkness and ultimately the forces of darkness that came upon Jesus in the wilderness will once again come upon him on the cross as all of the the dark forces that are instantiated in the political realities and the religious dark realities of the world, Jesus, and they all collude together to wind up putting Jesus on the cross. And what must have felt for the devil like his greatest hour of victory was actually his greatest moment of defeat because it was through this act of of selfless, self-giving love that Christ defeated the devil and the darkness in our place and for our sakes so that we don't have to be in his grip any longer, so that we can know freedom, so that we can be brought up into that relationship of love that has existed from all eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can be brought into the, the, the communion, the, the fellowship with, with the Trinity and enter into relationship with God. You know, at this time, I want to invite our band to come up. And we're going to conclude our service together by sharing in communion. If you were not able to receive uh, the elements when you walked in, uh, there are some available for you over at the side table where Pastor Robert is. Uh, If you want to get up during this next song and grab uh, the elements, you can go do that and then come back. But in this practice, we celebrate that it is through the selfless love of Jesus that God defeats all of our darkness. And we are invited in this practice to be nourished and sustained by that love and to carry out that same work of selfless, self-giving love for our neighbors and for family and for people around us and carry out this kingdom work in the power of Jesus and walk with him in overcoming the darkness. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you, we praise you that you have sent your son Jesus into this world to do battle against the darkness. Jesus, you are our great victor. You are our representative king. You have gone before us. And I just pray that you would empower us afresh here and now. God, as we open up our hands and our hearts in dependence upon you, God, we need your power. We need your voice. We need your word in our life. Come, Holy Spirit, and strengthen us afresh so that we could go out in the power of your spirit 
in our wilderness seasons and overcome the darkness. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.